Well, as you can see by the screen, we have two readings this morning. The first reading is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9, which you'll find on page 1181 of your church pew Bibles. Philippians 4, starting at uh, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And we go to the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through to 7 and you'll find that on page 687 of your pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, but in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increase their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We uh, have a tribute art, Elvis tribute artist in our church. Amongst having 70 different cultural groups, we also have an Elvis impersonator, but they're not called impersonators, they're tribute artists. Anyway, he's in parks right now, and he's actually preaching to about 3,000 Elvis impersonators and their friends. So do you mind if I actually lead us in a time of prayer that God will open the hearts of many Elvis tribute artists. <laughs> Father in heaven, it's an odd prayer, but it's a real prayer, Lord, that right now in parks, as Elvis impersonators gather from all over the world, that you would be with our, my, our dear brother Mark Borg as he preaches, that the name of Jesus will flow freely from his lips and that soft hearts will receive that word. May, may in a sense, the king introduce them to the king of kings in Jesus' name. Amen. The German philosopher by the name of Nietzsche, what a great name, 
who announced to the world that God is dead, said that um, I would believe in the Redeemer when the Christian looks a little more redeemed. Now, what he was saying was the way Christians that he knew carried themselves, you would think that Jesus was still dead and buried in Palestine and that there was nothing really to rejoice over, which is tragic, really. When you think of what, say, 1 Peter 1.8 says, that Peter writes, we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That one commentator said, a flabbergasted joy. A joy so deep that sometimes word can't describe it. Now, I know we're all culturally different and personality different. I mean, like uh, Bruce reminded uh, everyone, I'm a wog, uh, which means I'm kind of out there a little bit more than my wife, who's Anglo-Saxon, a bit more subdued. We've got different personalities, those that are up, those that are down. And anyway, the Christian life is up and down anyway. We're human beings. And uh, if you're not a Christian, please come and consider the claim of Jesus as we journey through what he has done for us. But I remember one brother uh, who was talking to a young Christian and who got sort of was going down, feeling down for the first time. He said, well, welcome to the Up and Down Club. And I love that because it was a nice reality check. And it's important that you know that I'm not seeking to promise you a Christianity where everyone's just staying in the clouds. Our emotional life, like everyone else's, goes up and down. And yet, coming to Jesus gives us a profound reason, not just for joy, but for what Peter says is an inexpressible and glorious joy. Hence the command in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So important, it's repeated. So non-negotiable, it's commanded. Um, One of my early mentors, John Chapman, said that joy was the unique Christian emotion. Um, It's different from happiness. Happiness sort of rides on circumstances. Joy... Joy belongs to us because in the way the Bible uses joy, it is that thankful attitude, that heart's response to the salvation that God achieved for us on the cross. So, for example, in Luke 2, the angels announced to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. Sorry, I'll put it on there. Keep it Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause what? Great joy, not just joy, great joy for all the people. That is for all the people who accept Christ. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So whether you're rich or poor, whether you're sick or healthy, whether you're up or down, Christ has come and that joy can't be stolen from you. It's a joy that doesn't hinge on our performance. When the 72 came back after Jesus sent them out, The one thing they were excited about wasn't the preaching of the gospel, it was the casting out of demons. And Jesus quietly pulls them up and says this in Luke 10, Do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. I mean, get a kick out of it, but that's not the big deal. The big deal is this, rejoice that your name are written in heaven. Unlike happiness that comes comes and goes and is so often shaped by circumstances, This joy doesn't have to move. My name, your name is written in heaven, whether you've gained 10 kilos or lose them, because so often our emotional life, or mine does anyway, rides on my weight. But joy, now that is rock solid. Joy experienced in the good days and in the bad. Because why? Because joy is that grateful, thankful attitude for what God has done for me and you. 
And, and it, it can't be just a feeling, I'll be, I'll, I'll be uh, honest with you, because you can't command a feeling. I can't say to you, uh, if, if joy is simply just an emotion, it just doesn't work. I can't say, be happy. And it, like, it just doesn't happen. Or stop being sad. Sorry. Even we're, we're called to manage our emotions, like in your anger, do not sin. Yeah, sure. Um, but our emotions aren't on tap to just sort of put them on and off whenever we like it. I mean, I love the happy song by Pharrell Williams. Who loves the happy song? I mean, it does make you happy. Let's face it. Let's crank it up. Let's put it on. Let's enjoy it for about 25 seconds. You want to dance, don't you? Come on, stop and dance. Tell you, there's a black man inside of this white body. <laughs> it makes me happy, but I tell you, that song will not make me go to bed with tears, with joyful tears, if my spouse has died or I just got the sack. It just won't do it. Joy is possible because we Christians not only have, like everybody else, had God place eternity in our hearts, that longing to live forever. But God in his kindness has sealed that longing and secured it by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet, you've got to say, there is so many good reasons to worry. I mean, you just don't know what's around the next corner. We don't know. Or we're so aware that so much of life is outside of our control. And sure, you take your precautions. You know, you, you eat well, you exercise, you move to a nice part of Sydney like Manly. Um, you know, you put the alarm on, you put your seatbelt on, you, get, you diversify your portfolio, you do all the things you think you need to do and they're wise and so forth, but you don't know between now and next week whether sickness or getting a sack or becoming single is going to be your story. And we know Christians aren't immune from the realities of the uncertainties of life that provoke so much anxiety. Here is a photo of Joanna Watkins. Uh, on her wedding day. Lovely girl. I, I read her article in the Gospel Coalition website a couple of months ago. She, she was married, she's married to Scott. And little did she know on her wedding day that within three years she would discover that she would have a disease that would make her virtually allergic to nearly everything, including her husband. I'm serious. This is a photo of her now. This is what she wrote in the article. Many of my worst fears have come true, and in more ways than one. The disease has robbed me of almost all that I hold dear. I have hundreds of, hundreds of severe allergies to just about everything from smells, food, and sunlight to the natural chemicals people's bodies produce. My husband cannot share a room with me. He cannot even safely touch me. The only way to prevent constant Anaphylaxis, sorry, to prevent constant anaphylaxis is to keep me confined to a room fitted with special air filters, unable to live with people I love. The loss has been profound. Whose heart is not going out to this dear woman? But this is what she said. If it weren't for God, I'd given up long ago. But while I've been broken and empty, God has been faithful and strong. He has borne every grief. Never have I been alone. He has lifted my head and filled my anguished heart with a joy unlike any other I've known before. I mean, by the end of it, you're almost envying 
the consequence of this disaster that has fallen on her. So how did God fill that anguished heart with a joy that she'd never experienced before? Well, I think she grasped Philippians 4.6. Now, the whole issue of anxiety is complicated. The rest of the talks will fill in what I'm not saying. There is a thing called anxiety disorder, which needs to be treated medically. But within the normal confines of anxiety, here is God's word to us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. That the opposite to being anxious is not so much not anxious. The opposite to being anxious is prayer in your anxiety. Not because God is thick and dumb and doesn't know your needs unless you tell him. Prayer is not about educating God. But in prayer, in the act of asking, you are leaning into and leaning on the God of the universe who is in charge and who is for you. Because you can talk to your blue in the face that you believe that God is a sovereign rule of the universe and that he upholds every atom by the power of his word. But if your heart is not in a posture of prayer, that is in asking, talking to your dad, Abba Father, then you've made a decision to let something other than God rule your life. I heard a sermon two week, uh, two, uh, I'm sorry, a month ago, an online sermon, and the preacher said, the greatest challenge for us Christians is not unanswered prayer, it's unspoken prayer. That the greatest tragedy is not that God is silent, it's that we are silent. We act as if God is not there, and then miss out on the joy that comes with casting our cares before our Father in heaven. Look, I know the hardest thing to do when you fret and worry, and that's all of us to some extent. I've been reading Bruce Springsteen's biography. He talks about all the times he had panic attacks as well. And the hardest thing to do when you're worried is to not do, but to pray. I'm not against, not, I'm not against doing, but it's interesting. The hardest thing to do when you're, pray, when you're anxious is actually to not do, but pray. In fact, what we are called to do is in Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. So the logic here is, I am to let my gentleness be known to you when I'm stressed, and my prayers known to God. Well, that's the exact opposite to what I do when I'm stressed. When I'm stressed, I get an edgy, aggressive tone to my voice towards others, and I'm silent towards God. Because on the surface, prayer seems to be useless. There's that lovely story of a girl who was really upset that her older brother was setting up bird traps and then killing the birds that he captures. And so she was asked, well, what have you done about it? She said, well, I pray. I, I pray that the birds wouldn't go into the traps. Oh, yeah, okay. Anything else? Yeah. Then I pray that if the birds go in the traps, that the traps wouldn't work. Anything else? Yeah. Then I went over and then smashed the traps. Because that seemed to be the one that worked. You know, when we're anxious, we're, I, I call it, we're like relief-seeking missiles. We gravitate, our default clause is in some direction that comforts us other than prayer. I don't know what it is for you. Let me rattle a few to see which one you identify with. Some of us, when we're stressed, kind of veg out. You know, 10 hours of cricket, 8 hours of Netflix. That's usually a male strategy. Some of us stop eating, others overeat. That'd be me. 
We either procrastinate or we become control freaks. We either withdraw or we dominate. We either go silent or we nag. Or we try to claw back some side of control in a world that we feel like we don't have. So we tend to overstudy, overwork, overexercise. We obsess about our persona on Facebook. We're never off the phone talking to everyone except God. We either slip into superstition or swearing. We find relief in some porn, gambling or alcohol. I've got a friend of mine who's a heroin addict and he said, Narcotics Anonymous has taught him some very important things and one of them is this. He said, Ray, I'm just an immature dwarf. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like an eight-year-old when it comes to my emotions. And, and, and he said, NA's taught me to learn to sit with the pain of life and to overcome the urge to run. Gee, that's good, isn't it? He now can't remember that because I asked him the other day about this. He comes to my church. But it's actually stayed with me to sit with the pain of life, the things that you fret over, and overcome the urge to run. But the difference for Christians, because we're in a relationship with Christ, we get to sit with whatever stuff we're feeling with Jesus, our Lord, and our bro, and our friend, and our King, and our Lord. And the comfort is, the Lord is near. He's not a billion miles away, uncaring, uninterested, unwilling, unable. He's actually with us. That, that was Jesus' last promise. Remember Matthew 28, 20? The last sentence Jesus said before he, he was uh, ascended into heaven was, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Listen again to Joanna, you know, the lady who was allergic to everyone, including her husband. Listen to what she said again with that promise in mind. She said, God has been faithful and strong. He has borne every grief. Never, never have I been alone. Well, Jesus kept his promise, didn't he? And he'll keep his promise with you. He can do no other. It is impossible for Jesus to make a promise he doesn't keep. But it's on his terms. So how do we present our prayers, our requests, our asking? Remember, the word prayer simply means to ask. It's with thanksgiving. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Joseph Stalin, the father of communist Russia, said that gratitude was the disease... I can't do a Russian accent... Gratitude is the disease of the dogs. Probably explains why 20 million Russians died under his hand. But gratitude is the lifeblood of a Christian. It defines, in fact, if you, you could define Christianity as the thank you religion, because we're perpetually thankful. And our greatest thankful prayer point is thank you for giving us your best, your son, when we were at your, our worst. Because amidst the immediate crisis is the more immediate God who rescued us from the coming wrath. That beyond our big worries is a much bigger sovereign God who didn't withhold his one and only son. That is why we're able to be thankful not for everything, mm -mm, but in everything. And that's why there's a, it's, it's a, it's a more older phrase, but it really marked Christianity in the past. That is, Christians train themselves to count their blessings. Dr. Arch Hart lists what he calls 11 happiness boosters. 
And it's interesting, he says, every night go to bed and play the gratitude game. Five things that you're thankful for that day. So in a sense, science has actually caught up with what the Bible's been saying from the very beginning. Because once the reality of Jesus Christ and his salvation takes hold of you, and once you start to count your blessings, then, then all of a sudden the retrenchment, the sickness, the breach in the relationship don't bite in quite the same way. A few years ago, I spoke to uh, a, a lady who'd been a heroin addict full on for 10 years. She'd been clean for the last three years. And I was just curious. I said, look, what helped you transition out of your addiction or managing your addiction? And she said, Ray, she said, you've got to understand, I have a victim mentality. And, uh, and I thought, well, you're not the only one. And uh, every, every I, I learned, she said, that, that learning to be thankful uh, was critical to transitioning her out of that phase. And so she said, every day now, and she's been doing it for the last three years, every day I consciously think of 13 different things that I want to be thankful for. So the 13 she's thankful for today is different. Why 13? I don't know, but it's 13. Then she writes them up and sends them to her friends in an email every day. Now, we know a bit of the science behind that as well, neural pathways, the plasticity of the brain. But all that's simply saying is God has wired us a certain way that if you run according to his will and purpose, that the great architect of your brain says you will live a joyful life if you get thankfulness. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I was listening to Joni Erickson. Uh, I mean, who knows Joni Erickson? Anyone? Okay, there's another. For the rest of you, just Google her name, Joni, J-O-N-I, Erickson Tata. It's her married name. Um, well known as a Christian, especially in the 70s and 80s. She, um, as a teenager, dived into a body of water and came out. She was an athlete, but she dived into a body of water, came out as a quadriplegic, neck down, can't move. Um, in, I was reminded that it's been now nearly 50 years since that happened. She's endured, if like enough bad stuff hasn't hit her, she's endured cancer. She lives with chronic pain. How you have quadriplegia and chronic pain together, I don't know. It takes her two hours every morning to get herself ready. She, someone has to assist her in that. She says every smile is hard fought. <laughs> but Janie writes this, or wrote, said this in the interview. Again, YouTuber, worth it. She says, my weakness, that is my quadriplegia, is my greatest asset because it forces me into the arms of Christ every single morning when I get up. She's letting the anxieties of her life, the issues that are provoking the anxieties of her life, drive her into the arms of a God who is for her. Now listen to the guarantee, the promise that comes in that. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, in the, um, in the, moving, in the movie Ruling Class, the, the main character thinks he's God. I think Peter O'Toole plays him. And the reporter says to Peter O'Toole, well, why do you think you're God? He says, well, whenever I pray, I feel like I'm talking to myself. That was a joke in the movie. Maybe it was in the execution of the joke that failed. But I kind of think, you know what? It feels like it, doesn't it? When you pray, sometimes you feel like you're talking to yourself. Now, I want to say, um, it's not true that prayer just changes you. I hate that. 
And I don't want to play down those glorious promises, promises like Ephesians 3, where we're invited to pray to the God who can do more than you can ever ask or imagine. Oh, no. Big God. Pray big prayers, confidently. But let me tell you, prayer is not some remote control uh, uh, that changes the channel on God whenever you want. However God decides to answer our prayers, we're in the midst of our anxiety, whether it's yes, no, not yet. There are only three options, right? However God decides to answer those prayers according to his good will. The promise here is this. The peace of God. We're not talking about that warm feeling in your heart. We're talking about the reality that the war between you and God is over in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that was purchased on that blood-stained cross will stand guard over your troubled minds and anxious hearts. That the God who kind of laid down his weapons and surrendered to the consequences of our sins on the cross. The God who secured peace. The God who enabled us to approach the throne of God with boldness. That God who laid down his weapons now takes them up. This time, not against us, but for us, standing guard against troubled hearts and anxious minds. What stops us from losing it is the reality that God is for us and not against us. Now, in this world, to be fair, you can pretty much lose everything. In fact, you will lose everything. It's called death. But what you can't lose, what won't happen, is the fact that you that you'll never stop being a child of God. That the judge of all the earth is your dad. That his spirit dwells within you. That nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That heaven is your home. That there's a resurrection body waiting for you. That will be free from sin and free from suffering. And free from that cursed thing called anxiety. It's coming. One day the movie's going to be over that we're in. But friends, I tell you, when and if salvation stops being the most important thing in your reality, let me tell you, you have guaranteed opened the door to letting everything else become more real to you. And you and anxiety will dominate. And I tell you, nothing like a bit of time to make us kind of look back and think, why did I ever worry about that? I did this once. I highly commend it. Why don't you do it today? Go home this afternoon and list all the things you were worried about this time last year. And then have a good laugh at yourself. Most of the time, they are profoundly trivial. But you almost need time to remind you of how trivial they are. Either way, know this. When you're hurtling through eternity, neither be assured of this, neither your HSC mark, your parents' divorce, the degree or the job you got or didn't get, the zits on your face, the size on your waist, the size of your mortgage, the business you built up, the business that went bankrupt, the promotions you got or didn't get, the 15 friends who let you down, none of it will matter one incy-wincy tiny bit. I guarantee it. And you know that as well. It really is sometimes embarrassing how much we trivialise the profundity of the salvation and peace of God and allow the minor stories, real as they are, to drive our life. Now, remember what I'm saying. You'll know tomorrow is a successful day, not if you wake up not feeling anxiety. No, no. The opposite to anxiety is not not anxiety. The opposite to anxiety, says the Apostle Paul, is prayer with thanksgiving in the middle of that anxiety. 
with thanksgiving. So it seems to me a good thing, and I suggested to the Bruce, he thought it was a good idea as well. Why don't we end this sermon with an opportunity for you, yes, you, to actually thank God. And so we're going to have a roving mic. And uh, I'm going to encourage people to just kind of pray a short one-sentence thank you prayer to God. It can be about the most profoundness of the, the gospel itself to something small in your life that you're thankful for. Either way, can you just pray short? Because the more prayer, the shorter you are, the more people will pray. Isn't that fantastic? So I figured that'd be the best application. I'll start. Where's the mic? So you just put up your hand. Uh, as I'm praying, start put up your hand if you're willing to. And we need some gutsy people. I need, a, I need a bunch of you who just put up your hand so we're not waiting you know, three hours for that first person. We've already got one over there. Excellent. Thank you, brother. I'll start in prayer and then we'll hand it over to you. Just put up your hand and then the mic will come to you. And uh, let's really enjoy being led in a time of thankfulness in the midst of whatever anxieties swirling inside us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we want to say thank you that when anxiety comes, May our gentleness be known to others and our prayers be known to you. May a deep, deep thankfulness reside in our really troubled hearts and anxious minds. And may our lives be bathed in never-ending thankful prayers. Unleash a spirit of thankfulness in the congregation here at Manly. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ Jesus, thank you for showing yourself to me and my family. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank, thank you, you for the reminder of those beautiful promises of yours. Thank you, dear God, for my lovely family past and present. Amen. Father, thank you for the gift of strong Bible teaching at St. Matt's. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the quality of life here in Manly and all the blessings that you show us every day with your natural beauty, everything that we should and we should definitely be thankful for, Lord. Um, Lord, we just thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word that we heard about today and how it will help us in our anxiety. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for, for this church, for our spiritual family, and for my children, and for all of your blessings. Thank you, God, for bringing me to Manly and for helping me, bringing me to this church and helping me to overcome deep, deep anxieties that I've had for nearly 60 years. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for my beautiful son, Luke, who makes me laugh every day. Thank you, Lord, for my mental illness, or else I would not have found this wonderful church. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are greater in us than anything else that's in the world.
you, Lord God, for giving us um, the ocean and for all the joy that it brings. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for um, my profound deaf grandson that can now hear from the gift of his uh, cochlear operation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the gift of prayer and that we can communicate with you in this way.